0: And, you know, Joan Didion believes believes heavily in like the end of day drink mm-hmm. to sort of process what you've written or read that day. Oh so, yeah,
1: yeah, that's a good point.
0: You know, and as Joan does, I <laughs> <laughs> try to do.
2: <laughs>
1: so many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to so many damn books. I am Christopher. I'm Drew, and we have Megan Abbott hey. in the damn library with us today. <laughs> Megan, thank you for joining. I'm so happy to yeah, be here. Um, Megan, you are the author of nine books, um, <laughs> <It's alarming. laughs> including uh, the most recent You Will Know Me, which you're here to talk about, as well as uh, The Fever, which was a New York Times notable book, uh, Dare Me, and many, many, nice. many others. Um, you also edited uh, A Hell of a Woman, which sounds really cool, an a, a anthology of female crime writers nice. and uh you're currently writing for the deuce on hbo i believe yes. Due out tbd
0: yes uh, sometime this year uh very exciting with fellow a couple other fellow crime writers so it's been a big thrill
1: that sounds really fun yeah i can't wait to see that show it's gonna be really cool before we get any further i should tell you what we're drinking oh uh, yes We're partying over here. We're 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 taking this, um, I don't know, early time to jump right into the islands. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm calling this drink. Um, it's a take on the mai tai, but I'm calling it the dismount, <laughs> in in yeah. reference to you will know me. So it's a it's a gymnastics book, and this this has lots of different moves to it. It's got a, a homemade orgiat syrup and homemade blue orange. A blood orange carousel, as well, well as fresh lime juice, light and dark rum, and pineapple juice. All shaken up. Real nice. It's delicious. I like it. Yeah. It's excellent. Uh, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if you uh, drink this and then go on one of those parallel bars or something, you <laughs> probably... That's probably <laughs> a bad luck. Yeah. It's not encouraged. Sort of, yeah. Blood orange, blood something. <laughs> 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 what do we usually do next? Uh... <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, I guess we can jump right in with What'd You Buy? Oh.
1: What you, do, you, you buy? What you, what you, you buy? Oh, yeah, let's oh, do that. Yeah. You remembered. Why don't you go first? Uh,
2: sure. So, timing appropriate, I just picked up um, this book out from Melville House called What We Do Now. Uh, That is Mm. writers, artists, politicians, thinkers, basically putting together a handbook for um, resistance and staying true to the ideals of progressivism uh, in this brave new world that Mm. we live in. Who all is in there? It's like everybody from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren to like dave eggers and george saunders wow um, that's a cool there are activists yeah. there are politicians. it's like it's a cool it's split up into like media activism like how to protest interesting uh, yeah it seems really cool
1: and you know because there, there's a lot of these that are coming out right now um yes. there's a few of these like what do we- so so Trump's your president. Yeah. Like,
2: no it's
0: so quick. You yeah. Know? I'm I so mean, impressed at how like yeah, yeah. people are Mobilized, on the ground. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, There's it that was
0: time to waste people <laughs> 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 You better. Yeah. You know? It's so funny because tanks roll in. At, <laughs> at new tomorrow. Work, <laughs> yeah. When you work
1: in publishing, you know a, a book that you're working on. You're like, hmm, I'm looking forward to seeing this in 2019. Like, yeah. uh yeah. And but th- these, I mean, they got right on there.
2: Yeah, they wrote them, edited them, and got them
1: out. Right. It's crazy. Um, so either either this shows that books just take too long and we should always be moving this quickly, or <laughs> or uh, there's an urgency to the <laughs> yeah. to the, the subject matter, one or the other. We'll report back in four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um do you want to go next with what you sure. bought? Sure,
0: yeah, I just bought uh, this, uh, this uh, Walt Disney biography over the holidays, Ooh. Neil Gabler. It's a famous one. I think it's the most famous Disney biography. And I, I'm in a book club with my best friend, the writer, Jack Pendarvis, and we did the Orson Welles biography before that, and then we decided to do Walt Disney. And I had very little interest in Walt Disney till I read it, but it was fascinating. Uh, if you saw the PBS documentary earlier this year, it was based on that, but oh. it, was, it was really about... Um, a really complicated man who had a sort of deep, deep, deep obsession with storytelling, and obviously captured the zeitgeist of America. But I was surprised at how many failures he had in his life. All those movies, other than Snow White, that we love so much now, they were all failures. Pinocchio mm-hmm. and Dumbo, and you know, and, they, and Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. I mean, they were all um, relative failures. But well. he just kept going. <laughs> wow that's Uh, amazing
1: yeah that sounds really interesting um how about you i uh i bought uh i saw a galley of melissa Phoebos Abandon me um which is so i read whip smart by her which is her memoir about being a professional dominatrix and this is much more personal and it seems to follow all all sorts of her loves and losses and and her relationship to art and there's Mm -hmm. this line uh in the in the jacket copy where it says she remains closely tied to the sea captain who raised her and it's just like <laughs> what <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a specificity that makes it feel
2: like it's like the 1800s well
1: i think the real problem is when i hear the sea captain i can only think of the simpsons character <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just like oh, she was raised by <laughs> <So That laughs> a cartoon that. well, a... that's probably not right <laughs>
0: Guess there's another memoir in there. That yeah, <laughs> <guy>. That's <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> raised by a bit character. Like.
0: <laughs> Weren't we all really? Oh
1: <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to to jump into it because it's been a while since I've read her. Cool. Yeah.
2: So now let us turn uh, to the reason we're gathered here.
1: Yeah and talk about your incredible new novel yeah you will know me (laughs) Uh, do you want to tell the listeners what it's about
0: sure it's uh i mean i was interested in families of prodigies and that was sort of the inspiration so gymnastics became just the the thing it could be about um not I wouldn't say not picked randomly but I took a long time to decide but it's really about um, the mother of a very talented young gymnast devin and she and her husband have devoted their whole lives to uh, their whole adult lives to sort of the care and nurturing of their child's talent um, and uh, and then something bad happens <laughs> and uh, and it sort of shows sort of the the complications and weirdnesses of the of the family and the community and the Sort of intense American spirit of competition, mm. and uh, and and the increasing sort of p- parent culture we live in, where parents mm. are supposed to do everything for their children to propel them into success and achievements. So, um, so things sort of go terribly wrong, and then uh, everything goes badly. <laughs> 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 it's it, a winning summary.
1: <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it it, seemed, it seems like even if. The bad thing that happens um which I think we can say right sure, yeah, it's, yeah absolutely it's, yeah. It's, it's a car accident that that um kills off someone close to the um to the gym that they that they go to, and uh even if that didn't happen, it seemed like something bad was gonna be happening with that family at some point. I mean something that you keep talking about is just their mounting debt that they're yeah. spending yeah. so yeah. much money on on their on their prodigy star uh daughter. Um, but, but, but I was something that I was sort of curious about just stylistically is um, your first half of your output was like pulpy, h- historical, yeah. Dashiell Hammett yeah. sort of style. And then the last four have yeah. been like suburban teenage girls very focused on um you know what what caused that pivot for you
0: yeah it's like from the outside it feels like a like a big dramatic switch which i get or like a career you know trajectory change or something but it was really to me they're the same universes entirely that you know i don't have as like i can't have as much obvious fun with the trappings I love mid-century noir because you get to talk about nightclubs and racetracks and you know it's this sort of fantasy world and, and that now you're talking about you know laundry rooms <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know and old cars that need you know new uh, need new brakes but um, it, the spirit to me is the same because sort of writing from the noir tradition it's all about uh, big emotions and everything is in high relief it's very dramatic melodramatic even been, um, because it's interior it's about how things feel um, it's the reality of feeling not the reality of naturalism so to me it was the same it's still desire greed revenge longing um and uh just sort of is just the setting has changed and women are still really screwed up <laughs> <in both laughs> <of
2: them. laughs> um i'm actually i'm curious about that because all four of these books when i pick them up there is i think back to like when I was in high school and the girls who I was in high school with or like the pop culture, mean girl style thing. And I'm wondering how much of the, the thriller trappings like heightened these emotions or do you see these these girls as all like yeah even without the murder and stuff like this is how they
0: are yeah no exactly. i exactly don't really even think you need the murder the murder <laughs> like becomes a way to to have the have a story mm-hmm. you know but to me i you know it's the same it doesn't matter every the stakes feel just that high they feel the same level of high you know just when you live at that age you're at such a fever pitch um not just for girls but i think particularly for girls uh because girls uh don't have have as much sort of culturally accepted outward expressions of aggression or you know yeah. not, can't get into a fist fight in the locker room they can they do now <laughs> but in my in my day they would just give another girl an eating disorder instead right. you know which is how it worked so so there everything is is feels very important because it is let's be honest um and there's a reason that we can't really entirely ever let our adolescence go yeah you know with us forever that 15 year old self is always there ready to demand attention right mm-hmm.
1: but you also dealt dealt deal specifically with sports too very yeah. very i mean there was field hockey in yeah. um and then dare me was cheerleading yeah so i guess um what is about the physicality there that's That's so interesting to explore.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have no athletic ability at all. So that's probably the answer. I'm fascinated by having control over your body in that way. And it's, uh, it's just I was always a very cerebral kid and, you know, and spectator to everything and kind of a voyeur like all writers are really. Um, so to me, it's vicarious thrill. And there's also something like girls' bodies are looked at. Teenage girls' bodies are the, the thing to be looked at. So give, making it be about sports at least gives them the sense to own that mm-hmm. part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, I was very conscious of the... Of- I guess Katie's gaze at yeah. like and at how she's sort of um, organizing the bodies in her mind and how she sees the, the kids.
2: That idea of, yeah. of your never escaping your adolescence too. I hadn't really thought about that, but now it makes like the way that Katie looks at, not only at like her daughter and her daughter's friends, but like the sort of thrill that like she and all of the mothers get from like the handsome hunk who's like helping, you know, build and like do people's lawns and stuff and that that sense that they see how their daughters see him
1: oh, and she's trying to escape some her past is like the little tiny pieces you get yeah. of that yeah are just they are th- every time I'm like oh you know, that the fact that she, like, gave herself her tattoo or... or right. Yeah, yeah. It's just so like... This the
0: is the masochism of teenage girls. Yeah, and that, that, that she never got of it, it either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and I think you're right. I think, you know, part of it is this sort of how much parents are supposed to be involved in their kids' lives now has sort of enabled this sort of t- Desire that I think many adults have anyway to be teenagers again, and mm-hmm. I think that that does occur, and we see it. I'm a big fan of the Real Housewives franchise, <laughs> and you certainly see it there. If you have a lot of money, you can be a teenager forever. Wow! You know, and in these cases, if you're if you're spending 40 hours a week at your kid's gym or pounded by teenagers and teenage, <laughs> you know, a good-looking young man, you know, like you're going to become your 15-year-old self again. Yeah, because everyone around you is doing it. So it feels it feels like it's a sort of uh, escape, escape shoot from one's the the sort of pains and miseries of one's regular adult life.
1: Oh yeah. I'm I'm curious about thriller writing, um, especially for this uh, for you will know me because there's so many twists, and I'm curious if you plan out those twists or do they come organically from
0: yeah it's a little of both i mean the best ones are the ones that happen organically certain ones you plan in advance because the whole book is structured around it does, it wouldn't work it's often how you decide your point of view because originally I was going to have different points of view in this book, but it became impossible to do so and keep certain secrets secret. So sort of, you know, so certain things you have to decide in advance. You can change your mind, but you do. But other things are big, big surprises. uh, Things that sort of link up and connect um, and or a character does something you didn't think they were going to do, which happened in this book with Katie a lot because I didn't, I didn't want her to be too passive. So she starts doing all this stuff and then that kind of led to other things. And and her son in the book, Drew, the younger mm-hmm. brother, I intended to be a small character, but then I grew to like him a lot, so I gave him this sort of pivotal role that na- made meant I had to have <laughs> this twist to go with it. So so a lot of that stuff along the way, you're trying to be so close to your reader that you feel like you're on the, like like your chin is on their shoulder when they're reading it, and you you want it's very intimate, more intimate I think than any other genre in that way. You're trying to like match heartbeat you're trying to get past uh, the the brain really and into Mm -hmm. feeling
1: Mm. yeah especially because we have to know we can't be too far ahead of her yes because if we're far ahead that's when it falls apart right
0: yes yes and if you feel that you're smarter than the character then your view of the book starts slowly (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) definitely
2: What was it like to immerse yourself in these particular worlds? Like, I'm thinking specifically with gymnastics, with cheerleading. um, Like, what what was it like to sort of really dive into that? Because it feels like you're you're in it in that same way.
0: I'm so glad because that's like it doesn't work like it lives or dies by that. But I'm sort of entranced by that part of it. You know, there are worlds that you know I thought about having her be a music prodigy, but First of all, it's not very visual, and I think visually when I write. And second of all, wow, music's really complicated. Well, so is gymnastics, <laughs> but there's this subculture of it that you can get your mind around, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, which is people in tight spaces and this attention on the body and this sort of. the maybe around gymnast memoirs, and a lot of them have sort of borderline or actual OCD because they're you know they have to be in such control of their movements. And so once you start to get into that stuff, it it just takes on a life of its own. But it's it's sort of like Heart of Darkness. You got to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper <laughs> until you don't need to read the book anymore. You know what it's like. You know? <laughs> so I've always liked books or movies or TV shows that bring you into a world you'd think you'd have no interest in and then and then all of a sudden it starts to seem interesting and strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, I was curious how writing uh, thrillers bleeds into your uh, real life. Like, do you, do you, do you, cause like all, everybody has like a separate motive or like a dark past or something that they're trying <laughs> to escape in, in, in your books. And I'm, do you feel like that's true for everyone you meet now? You shake someone's <laughs> hand and you're just like, oh.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm thinking that right now. <laughs> no, like, oh, no. <laughs> no. no, no. It, you know, I'm sort of a, a generally genial person in my everyday life, but I always have had an obsession with true crime and reading crime or newspaper. You know, I, I look for the, you know, I read the post and I, I look for that stuff. Um, so it, it's always been more vicarious. Though, you know, it, like it's part of your unconscious makeup somehow. You like to be scared or you like to see how far you're willing to go um, at a safe distance, I would say. Um, so there's part of it that probably goes deeper. But I always feel like if you figured out why you're really interested in this, then you would probably, the books would become terrible, you know? Because <laughs> you'd have like a logical reason, you know? You want it like I try to keep that part really underexplored, you know? It's, it's, it's very natural to me to, to to wonder about this stuff and I don't wanna question my wonder of it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that
1: makes sense. Hi there. Hey there
2: good looking.
1: Uh
2: as we refill our drinks what in are the you,
1: episode. What do you what are you wearing? Oh god. Is it a is oh. it a
2: t shirt? Oh god. Is it cool?
1: Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seriously, go buy our t-shirts.
2: Yeah. We, uh, there you can find the link on Facebook and Twitter and on our website and everything. Uh, really helps us
1: out. We got t-shirts. Yeah. They look dope. And they say so many damn books because that is how it feels out there, man. When you're in a bookstore, when you're looking at your stacks and stacks, when you're covered in your books. You, you get, know. You Every, know when you're laying knows. in bed and you just have your friend dump a lot of books. No, on it's just that you. the shelf just falls <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah, go buy a shirt. It's They're cheap. Yeah, and they look cool. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. And now back to your regularly, regularly scheduled, scheduled programming. programming. So I'm going to just, I'm going to draw a parallel to bring us over to Patricia Highsmith land. Um, the most terrifying. <laughs> the most terrifying <laughs> part of, <lands. laughs> <Yeah>. part of <laughs> Disneyland. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how.
0: Those trolleys aren't coming back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but yeah, I, I I think that there's there's a strange sort of cotton in the crosshairs of or or not crosshairs, but um so caught in the crossfire in both of these books is uh so deep water by Patricia Highsmith has this character uh, this kid, Trixie. And uh drew, drew in um You Will Know Me, these are two kids that are just They are just in bad circumstances, and it is not their fault, and I feel bad for both of them. (laughs) But it's funny, too, because Drew also has some connection to Vic's way of life as well, being sort of like a scientist and and like running his little garage experiments as Vic does. So before we go really much further, uh, deep water by patricia highsmith thank you for so much for bringing this i'm so
0: glad i did this <laughs> was want, my first read so. do you want
1: to um tell us why you decided to bring this patricia highsmith to us
0: i've read some highsmith but not nearly enough and this is one that had always been sort of interesting to me because it's suburban 50s america and is a big devotee of Mad Men, which is 60s but the sort of what lies beneath that yeah. and the notion of what highsmith would find there since she has such a gimlet eye of everything yes. so so that was sort of what i'd heard about it though i knew very little about it um so i was f- thrilled <laughs> uh, at how how much it was that it was sort of like you know pulling the blinds up in all those suburban houses mm-hmm. and, um, the cul-de-sac and what goes on yeah
1: Yes, and um, the
0: parties and the swimming and pools <laughs>
1: there I mean there was there's way more partying in this suburban community than I remember from growing up in a suburban community ditto uh, but it sounds nice sort of uh, <laughs> but it's it's the the plot of this book is that uh basically there's this married couple, the Van Allens, and Vic is sort of... Henchpicked th- is maybe the wrong word. He's just sort of he he's in a situation <laughs> where his wife is um, you know cheating on him, sort of. But it seems like pretty openly, pretty openly cheating on him, and he's sort of pretending to be okay with it. But he is not okay with it. He's deeply <laughs> no. not okay with it. But he's sort of trying to act as though whatever like she can live her life as long as she's taking care of our family it's fine um
0: yeah he's like a cauldron though you feel it you know because he does love her yeah and really you can't entirely i mean for many things in the book but you can't entirely blame her because he sort of coerced her into mary she was a free spirit in that way a selfish rich rich sort of spoiled girl who wanted to do what she wanted and mm-hmm. didn't necessarily want to get married. And yeah. now, and then he wanted to have a child. And so she sort of grudgingly as a child. And so she's, a, you know, if she were a man, she would be living the, the great life in the 1950s. But because she's a woman, she's stuck at home, you know, and so she's got to have fun guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can see that, but I can also like, she al- she also doesn't seem to see what Vic sees, which is the larger picture of what it, what the community sees, and that mm-hmm. seems to be really the like yeah. the like st- the the sticking point for Vic. I think if if they were in one of Highsmith's other novels, where they're like, if they were in like a different sort of less uh, what's going on in my neighbor's yard communities maybe they, maybe they wouldn't have this problem but a lot of it he seems to really dislike the way that other people look and see them
2: yeah there's a lot there's a lot of relying on everyone else and their opinion cuz also on the flip side like there's a there's a swing in the book where things seem to be getting better and he's like everybody loves me mm-hmm. like no one's going to believe you if you try to tell them that i did terrible things because everyone loves me just look they all hate you
1: yeah
0: which is like high school, No, right? <laughs> yeah. so isn't it really? Because it really is sort of once he has... You know, there's a desire for a status quo and to have no embarrassment. No one wants to be embarrassed for someone. No mm. one wants to be embarrassed or embarrassed for someone in this community. And so Vic's wife is an embarrassment. So if, you know, if he can somehow um, make everyone feel better about that, he knows he has the power. Yeah. So, um, and it is also a lot about emasculation, right? Yeah, and Totally.
1: Yeah. I mean, his navigation of the situation is strange because he never he never quite comes out and just says to her, it bothers me what you're doing. Yeah. For some reason, he can't he can't vocalize that. And I wonder what why? Why? Why wasn't he able to just say to her like he, he asks her to he tells her to stop? He tells her very specific reasons about the guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know. There's sometimes when he's like, I, I, don't even, I wouldn't even mind so much if it wasn't these for these dolts that she's <laughs> yeah. bringing home. They're so boring and dumb. And then like a smart person comes by, he's like, Yeah, I still hate him. <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> there's like
2: an attempt to, to be progressive in that sense yeah. of like, if this makes you happy, good. Yeah. But then realistically, like he, he is trying not to be. I think if he opened up it would be so emasculating Mm. in a time when like he is already aware that he has sort of been somewhat emasculated by the sense that he can't like whatever he's not fulfilling for his wife societally, like even his friends, you get the sense they look down on him a little bit for like, Mm -hmm. can't keep that woman of yours under control.
1: Right.
0: Absolutely, and it was. You have to remember too, which I'm just sort of reminding myself right now. This was an era, as, as you say, men were not supposed to talk about their feelings, yeah, or even consider their feelings, or to look within at all. So I don't even know if he would have the vocabulary. If men in that era would have the <laughs> vocabulary for it, you know, he could he could sort of act out in response and cheat on other women, or he can you know hit her, or he can do that. There's certain things that were accepted in what men could do, or he could divorce her, yeah. um, or or any of those things that we've seen you know in in less violent books but instead <laughs> instead i think he actually gets a big ego kick out of being well, the center of the story and
1: that's really that that really is the turning point and it's pretty early yeah. when he decides to just <laughs> take credit <laughs> for having murdered somebody <laughs> as though it's some lark as yeah. though it's he
2: like to be very cl- he's like i am gonna take credit for this crime
1: that i did not commit yeah and everyone's like ha,
2: ha, ha, ha that's great
1: yeah they're, well there there i don't know if everyone says that that's there the first is like ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> did you did you really <laughs> <laughs> yeah because they they want to play it off like it's another hilarious one one of the very funny jokes like a lot of stuff is like greeted with a roar of laughter
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) in this world yeah
1: um you know and it is these dinner parties but yeah so he he goes and says i killed this guy and is enjoying very much he didn't kill he did not (laughs) kill that guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah and when when it comes out that he didn't kill that guy that it couldn't have um he's also like oh that's too bad <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. they're so weird. I like, was enjoying he he navigates these situations so strangely. Yeah. But it is like this is the real strength of Highsmith to me, is it all fits together in the weird idea of Vic. Like it you never feel like he's acting like you feel like he's acting strangely, but you're just like, I just don't get this guy. Like he's so weird. Right. Which I think definitely has to do with her. Like Patricia Highsmith was a very strange
0: person. Yeah, by the standards of that era, foremost, she just didn't, didn't any fit era. in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't know that she would be would have lived the life she lived then if she were could live as she wanted to live now. Mm. So it's that's always hard to tell, you know, context is everything. Mm. But I think I think she probably does identify with Vic more than anyone else in in the book. Yeah. Um, I think that well, world seems foreign and, and perverse to her, and and it is in her eyes when you look at the way those, you know, where morality really has no meaning in this book for mm-hmm. those for any of the neighbors.
1: Oh, that's true, and, and you know, she there are some parallels too, like she kept snails. And Vic keeps snails. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, and like you know, like I was saying before, that sort of has like a a a, a funny echo. Although you didn't read this uh, before, you wrote we you will know yes. me. But the echo of of a scientific mind. Yeah. And you will know me as well. I think that's that's interesting too. Of uh, he's got a sort of uh, I don't know, scientist's mind towards like what would happen if I uh, took credit for this murder what would happen if I murdered somebody? Like it's more, he he seems to be like always conducting an experiment.
2: I also, I have a confession. This is my first Heisman. Yes. Uh, I've seen the, the uh, Anthony Minghella Ripley, Ripley film. And of course, Strangers on a Train. But this is the first one I've read. And I was so I guess startled is the right word by how smoothly it goes from like normal sort of weird party to like, Oh, he just killed a guy. Like it actually (laughs) happened. Like he's actually now killed somebody and it, it just rolls on by.
1: Oh yeah. It's at the same pitch, same sentence structure, same everything as him describing, you know, his snail experience
0: except there is like she's very clever because there are like hints along the way that he that this is he's holding himself together barely at any yeah. moment and he could you know when when one of one of uh, Melinda's uh, many boyfriends wants to have the snails for <laughs> dinner oh. the snails that he collects oh it's very clever for, it's like Highsmith genius because all of a sudden you feel sorry for Vic which is what <laughs> she wants <laughs> at many points she's very good at getting it but then you you know his sort of of horror at that sort of we see the thing inside him yeah. that you know when those snails are sometimes snails are not just snails you know <laughs> so it, it, fe- it feels like she's playing a game with us as a shell game if you will about <laughs> uh, about like how much we're supposed to believe that Vic is just a sociopath or how much he's just like four shades darker than, than everyone else mm-hmm. like once he's playing brinksmanship with what he's capable of and he you know and she pushes him really she pushes him too she's certainly not she doesn't deserve anything that she gets and i find her delightful and funny really funny but um we do i think i think he's not like the sort of dexter Mm -hmm. you know serial killer person at all but something something that she, she just wants to just push you outside of what you know but you know just a few steps
1: yeah there's a there's a point late in the novel when um, when he's got another one of her boyfriends in the car and they're going for a drive, and it feels far more planned in that one than mm-hmm. than than the other ones where if where it, early on it's much it much more seems like oh he's in a situation and he's sort of just like taken to the brink by whatever happens, but that later on it feels much more like he's like okay this is who I am now.
2: Yeah. Um, it actually made me think of, and this will, I referenced this actually when we were talking with Lisa Lutz about George Simonon there. Um, Simonon moved to Connecticut late in his life and wrote a couple of novels that are there in this like same milieu of the, the sort of like dark underbelly of suburbia. And I just, the, I saw a play in London an adaptation called the red barn that had a similar like sort of henpecked husband who like finally gets pushed to the point where he snaps. And I just, Christopher, like you were saying earlier, that idea of, you know, growing up in suburbia, Mm -hmm. I didn't see anything like that. Like I did there. I'm sure that there were, I think that if anything, it was more like your novels, Megan, than Mm -hmm. these ones. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I like, I want to go back and think about it now and, and try to figure out how much of this is just, somebody who was deeply unhappy in their surroundings uh, projecting that out and writing these stories or if like suburban 50s was truly a really dark scary place (laughs) yeah yeah
1: is it suburbia that's pushing him or would he always have been pushed to the brink by something
0: this his ideal of a masculinity which is somewhat I mean their era was particularly oppressive the sort of man in the gray flannel suit model which is you know uh, you know, he, he has his own wealth in this book so he doesn't have those pressures but but certainly appearances are everything mm-hmm. and you know it, this comes up a lot and you will know me but the, in, the rules of the community are the rules you know so it really doesn't matter what there's no larger law or morality it's what these community standards are because you know the everyone who i think everyone who dies in this book and there are several outsiders mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they're disposable and the person who dies in my book is an outsider too so i think that that that's sort of i guess it's, it's if you sort of push suburbia again just a few steps further and it sort of demands on on gender on sexuality on race, i mean there's sort of w- ways you're supposed to maintain yourself um then things can go horribly awry because there there is no independent or interior morality uh right. it's only exterior and in- externalized
1: mm-hmm. uh, that yeah
2: huh. I had forgotten about his independent income, yeah, and how like I'm really like that line when I read it reminded me of like a Jane Austen novel. We're like, oh yes, I have 40,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was still a thing in the 50s in a way that, it like
1: there's a... Well, we certainly don't hear about it now in the yeah. same... Oh, that's true, I suppose. I feel like it's not... If, if it is something that's going on, it's way less like... People don't tell you if they've got 40 grand a year coming their way. Yeah. Yeah. For but no it, certainly
0: in New York, I know a lot of people who do, right? You know, that, yeah. You yeah. know they're tr- trust fund kids. Growing up. You know, when he, but he, the fact that he has this sort of vanity publishing yeah. that's oh. so... Uh, it's such a trick Kai Smith plays on the reader because when he was reading it, loves books presumably, and it's going to make them more sympathetic to someone who like the care and nurturing of special books. Oh yeah, and even and though she makes fun of them, and the, <laughs>
1: right. um, and the just like the talk of colophon design and just like <laughs> yeah. that that stuff that I'm just like, uh, he can't be all bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, the poetry
2: collection with like the yeah. where he goes out of his way to like incorporate feathers in these eyes. I, yeah. like, I want to read that. I want to copy know. that book. I
0: really wanted one of those books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a fetishist in all of us. Yeah, uh, just like yeah. our horror at the snails, probably. Yeah. I don't know about we got uh, nothing against eating snails, though. I don't eat them. But like the horror you feel. I mean, it's, she's very clever at confusing us as where, I guess, how bothered why should we be and who we should root for. Mm. Which is sort of the secret to the Ripley books because, oh you know, he does all this stuff, but he kind of stumbles in to it in the first one you know if those circumstances weren't that way and there hadn't been a fight it never would have happened but once you once you cross that line it's the sort of noir tradition that once you cross that line it's crossed right yeah you know? well
1: and that's the other thing about the ripley books is like after the first book there's very few murders yeah. after that there's this like weird like bent morality of of stealing people's money for a fake uh Art <laughs> yeah. study by the mail. It's very kind of, I don't know. It it's it's strange. It's um, that's a strange series. But it you you do feel like when to, when Tom Ripley is doing things, you feel like he knows the right and the wrong way, and he's going to absolutely choose like the middle ground right between those. Yeah. <laughs> at every single spot, and in this one, you're never really sure what he like you don't really see him moving towards, you know, bliss. Like you don't see that he can fix anything. Yeah. You you, you're just like, okay, well the worst is going to happen. Just how, that's
0: right yeah yeah i didn't know where it was going by the end did you we don't have to spoil but i was very so it becomes very dark Mm -hmm. in a kind of jim thompson way which i found fascinating and and surprisingly satisfying i thought i was very satisfied by the ending oh very much yeah Um, and it seemed like i should have seen the signs that it was going this way but there was no way it was not going to go this way but somehow still you know
2: yeah it's that great thing when it happens you're like well of course that's what was gonna happen. But she manages to I was finishing it and I was like,
0: There are very few pages left. Yeah, <laughs> like yes.
2: what? Are we is this is he is it just gonna end? What's the d- yeah. And then uh, the ending hit and I was like,
1: Oh of course. No, that was I, I when I turned the last page, I was like, She did it. I actually think I said it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> like, she did. She got yes, me again. Patricia
0: part of her, like reading this in particular reminded me a little of the Coen brothers and, and Fargo and things and Blood Simple, yeah. things like that where it sort of takes really American settings and places and dynamics and sort of the petty crimes that husbands and wives commit against each other. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and it was kind of a much darker ending than a Carter Brothers' ending. So you know, like everything wasn't—it uh, uh, was not even a Ripley ending. So, no. uh, but it—you know—it was—it was very satisfying.
2: <laughs> I'm curious to know how many authors, screenwriters, playwrights, storytellers in general have this book in particular where it like it's it's not the flashiest Highsmith, smith it's not the one that people talk about but how many of them just have it on their shelf and it oh. has subtly influenced their work yeah
1: because it, it feels influential
0: it it does i always wonder about that I mean, but high smith was was not great very successful in her lifetime so a lot of it has come after since the movies you know yeah and the movies have certainly helped but um, I wonder if a lot of people have been influenced by people influenced by it. Yeah. You know, like I wonder totally. how many levels out it's going to be like the Gone Girl effect. You know. Yeah. Like and you're
1: you're influenced by Gone Girl, but you have no idea that that's that that's the yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Well, I uh, I'm I'm gonna highly recommend Deep Water. Yes. Everyone yeah. should. I mean, work. I'm
2: excited. I I said this when you emailed us with this choice, and I'm now happy to report that it's, I'm excited to like dive into Highsmith. Yes.
1: Yes she is fun to dive into and you can just read a bunch in a row too there's something like about like just you want to just pick up the next one yeah,
2: yeah it's that same prose thing where like it's just chugging along you yeah. put this one down you're like next and yeah. you're just <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> right back in the current <laughs> yes um do we want to talk about some other recommendations sure And you take a look. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, Drew, you you start us off.
2: Um, I'm going to recommend another th- thriller y kind of book that looks uh, at the strangeness of marriage. It also happens to be a book on the Tournament of Books shortlist. It's Lydia Millett's um, Sweet Lamb of Heaven, mm. which I won't say too much. Because the jacket copy talks, it's like this woman, she has a baby, and starts hearing this strange voice. Um, her husband is becoming a political candidate and is sort of doing that, like, sell your soul, I want power, not because he cares about America or issues. And it very quickly starts to spin off into this, like, near Stephen King creepy novel at one point. Mm. it There are digressions on, like, instead of religion for atheists religion for book lovers in Uh, a way um but all of it with that like just creeping right there dread of something bad is about to happen uh yeah i was totally blown away and surprised by it and i really enjoyed it
1: cool sounds really good
2: um megan how about you, yeah,
1: do you well go next?
0: i'll recommend a movie because i i've seen so many lately end of year that i think might might pass people's radar which is jackie which is the yeah. net. have you seen it yeah i haven't i had, had not been too interested in it because i assumed it was a biopic right. and it's not uh, and you may know this but but it's really two or three days after the assassination oh my oh, god that's really all it is it's very compressed f- almost hallucinogenic there's a first person we really feel it's really about her trauma and her attempt to sort of create a narrative about the meaning of her husband's life in those few days after his death and it's wild and intense and this this score by uh mika levy who did the score for under the skin is really harrowing and and kind of incredible and it's so it's not like uh, we've all seen so many kennedy things and it's not like that it's really like First person, super intense, almost like like repulsion, the movie Repulsion, like in her in her head, sort of reeling from this experience. And it's kind of thrilling. So Ooh, wow. I recommend that.
1: Wow. Okay. That sounds really good. Yeah. Um Christopher? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna recommend another book off of the Tournament Books shortlist to jump into. Um it's uh Mr. Monkey by Francine Prose. A light change of pace from everything else we've been talking about. You'd think by that that title, (laughs) but it is not. (laughs) It's about, it's, it is about a children's musical. Um, and you start in the mind of one of the actors Mm -hmm. and then you head into another actor and then you head into someone in the audience and then someone else in the, and like, she just jumps into like, people that are connected but not connected huh and and it's so amazing i i it really feel it felt like um i, I put it right up next to uh A visit from the goon squad oh, by cool. jennifer wow. egan where i really feel like you know in, in in the goon squad it's uh the the goon squad is time yeah in this it's ambition and it's just like what happens and and there's an incredible sequence inside the um author of the children's book that the musical is based on (laughs) you're you're out with him uh for a while and it's one of the most incredible parts of the book
0: that is such a tour de force to do that as a writer yeah and to have it pay off for the reader oh
1: it's so so fantastic um i was completely i was not expecting it at all and i actually listened to it so if you uh and it's Two actors doing like the me- the male paint points of view are read by a male and the female points of view are read by a female. And uh they're they do incredible work with it. And I recommend listening to it, but uh just reading it at some point. All cool. Right. Yeah, it's really good. I'm
0: adding it to the list. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fantastic. <laughs> Megan, thank you so much so yeah. much, Thank much you for you joining so us awesome. this has Thanks been really for the fun great
0: conversation and the blood orange my tie wait what was it what was it called again the dismount the dis- dismount okay yeah i'm, I'm dismounted <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's it called when you get shot by never mind
2: shot with a trank what no like
1: you... like paintball like if you get shot <laughs> and by like stray fire, friendly fire. Oh, friendly fire! Is it fire. friendly fire? Well, yeah. n- no. Or crossfire. No. Crossfire. Crossfire. Okay, so we figured that out, <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's a great <laughs> film noir. Called Crossfire. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. um, okay. <laughs>